What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode three of the City of Champions podcast. Today, we talk about the Dodgers series in Oakland, Kenley Jansen's struggles, and why Kershaw is the greatest of all time. Then we dive into the Lakers' past two games, the Herald THT suspensions, and AD's return. First up, we have the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Oakland A's. Successful trip up in Oakland, maybe uh, to two out of three, but definitely a disappointing loss in that last game. Um, what you think of uh, you know the first game, Gene? Um, first game, great start by the kid Dustin Mago. Six innings, two hits, zero earned runs two walks and eight strikeouts uh, kind of struggled early on with the control with the breaking pitches, but I was happy to see that he was mixing in those pitches. Uh, this kid has all the potential to be a great pitcher in the big leagues and just, uh, just happy to see him start to mix it up. Um, you know, so it, it was a blowout win 10 to three. So, you know, after his start, we get David price to come in, you know, he's still struggling, but it's important for fans to remember that David price hasn't pitched in two years. So, um, uh, there's going to be some growing pains with him. And so, you know, he went two innings, gave up three runs, but um, just the offense was great. Seager with the base clearing double. Um, Taylor, um, we did have some injuries with Taylor and Bellinger. So, you know, that kind of sucked. But still, you know, just just great production from McKinstry, Muncie, Seager. Just an overall great uh, team game. we got Smith and Turner with home runs. So great game yeah. by, the, uh, by the crew. Yeah, man. You know, it blows my mind that uh, him and Uriah is both 23. They're only going to get better. It's going to be a scary few years to come from uh, from the Dodgers. Um, so, you know, overall satisfied with that game. Not really, you know, many talking points outside the injuries. Um, McKinstry with a big game, like you said. Uh, Muncie, you know, with a big game as well. So, you know, the bats are looking hot. I'm, I'm very happy with uh, with what I'm seeing. Um, but, you know, let's talk about the, uh, the second game. Uh, <laughs> Let's Clayton talk about it, bro. Kershaw, man. Clayton Kershaw. Go ahead, you know, bro. Go off there. So many people call him washed up. So many people say he's not as good as he used to yeah. be. So many people talk trash. Yep. But I mean, here's my take. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest pitcher of all time. And I don't think I don't I don't think it's close. Now, a lot of people may yeah. argue with me, you know, even Dodgers fans who who uh, might uh, give that honor to Sandy Koufax, but yeah. I, honestly, I, I don't think it's close. You know, if you if you look at Sandy's career, the guy only pitched for what twelve years, um, and he was only really good for about like five, six of those years. So to, to call him the greatest of all time, especially you know playing in the uh, in the nineteen sixties, you know, in a time when uh, the league was still what like eighty eight percent white. And if, you know, you can think back at the last 20 years and think of all the great, you know, Latino, Black and, you know, Asian and you know, just overall uh, players from uh, around the world and how much they've brought to the game to call someone from, you know, the 1960s, the greatest of all time. It just it doesn't it, it doesn't sit well with me. And I mean, this is a guy yeah. who has the lowest ERA in the modern age of baseball. That's, you know, in, in the years since like the dead ball era of the 1920s. 
Um, he has the lowest walks hits per inning pitched since Addy Johnson at Walsh played in the early 1900s. He's been better than every name you can think yeah. of since then. I mean, yeah, no doubt. Johnson, Maddox. Um, I mean, what are your initial thoughts on that? So I'm not a big fan of the greatest of all time debate for any sport. And, and you know this about me. We go back and forth about this in a group text all the time. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, when we talk about basketball. And the reason I'm not a fan of it is because every sport has changed so much. The game, every sport changes so much in 10 years. Every 10 years, it seems like every major sport goes through a, a style change. Um, I was just thinking about if you look at basketball, remember when the Lakers uh, before this past season, but before that, when they won that championship um, against the Celtics in 2010, think about how different that finals was versus the finals this, this past season in 2020, right? True, That's true. 10 seasons. And you had Kendrick Perkins starting for the Celtics and, or, or you know, getting significant minutes for the Celtics. And you had Andrew Bynum. Both those dudes are maybe 15 players on, on teams now. Um, and so what I mean, why I bring that argument up is just, it's hard to say who the greatest of all time is when the variables in the game is constantly changing. I will grant you and give you that Kershaw's probably been the best pitcher in baseball, you know, since he's been up in the big league. Since he's been up in the, in the big league since now, he's been the, best, the greatest pitcher in baseball during that time. But you can't hold it against Koufax that he pitched in a league that wasn't very diverse and didn't have the talent pool that we have from like you can't hold that against them. You can't hold it, you know, against uh, get uh, you know, Greg Maddox or or Randy Johnson. So, um, I'm gonna disagree well, just, just because I don't like the argument of the greatest of all time. But also, Kershaw sucks in October, dog. Miss me with that. I don't yeah, care see, what anyone says. All right, let, let's let's take it back to Johnson Maddox, right? So uh, Keith Duncan, Duncan Rex at Twitter says, you know, love Kershaw, greatest Dodgers pitcher of the past fifty years, greatest pitcher of the past twenty years. But Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson are right there in front of them. And see, that's where, where I disagree. I mean, don't get me wrong. Johnson, you know, the big unit, great pitcher. Maddox speaks for himself, probably the most, like, accurate pitcher we've ever seen. Dominated through his career. You know, he was he had pinpoint accuracy. Let, let's look at their career ERAs, right? So Kershaw's is 2.43. That's pretty damn low, even for a single season. Johnson, 3.29. Maddox, 3.16. Yeah, the whip, it's not even close. You know, Kershaw takes takes the take, takes the cake on that. If we look at their you know their war per season, uh, again, Kershaw dominates in that uh, that statistic. Uh, in fact, the only um, statistic that anyone really you know beats Kershaw is Johnson yeah. with a ten point six K through so, uh, nine innings. So here's here's my pushback, bro. Here's my pushback on all this data and everything like that. My pushback with this is Kershaw is still actively pitching. And let's say if Kershaw pitches five more years, the data is going to trend down. There's no way he's going to pitch at the current level or better. Right. That's just it's not going to. And that's happened with with Johnson and later in their careers. And at points, maybe early in their careers, they struggled. So I always like to look at if you take Kershaw's 10 best seasons and you stack them up against, you know, Johnson's 10 best and Maddox's 10 best. That to me is a more realistic argument because we don't know what Kershaw's career is going to look like. You're talking about dudes who have double the starts, right? Um, you know, you look at uh, Maddox's starts. Maddox had what? Um, where are we at with his seven starts, bro? Seven forty. And then how many? How many that has Kershaw had so far? Three fifty six. 
So Maddox has had more than double Kershaw's stats. So of course the data is going to trend negatively after a certain while. That just makes sense. So I'd be curious to see what the data looks like for Kershaw's best 10 season, Johnson's 10 best and Maddox 10 best seasons, because I feel like that's, you know, I think that's a better measure of who they were, you know, as a, as a pitcher, as an athlete, because I think, you know, like imagine Michael Jordan never came back, bro. You know, it's just, so just things like that. I mean, to be honest, if he didn't come back, he'd still be number two to Kobe. So that's all I have to say about that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that on this pod. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, So so wait, so we're talking about Kershaw being the greatest of all time because the dude pitched out of his mind, right? In game two. That that's why that conversation came up, man. He he looked great after such a rocky start against the Rockies. Uh, rocky start against the Rockies. That's a good one. Um, but so he goes seven innings, four hits, one earned run, zero walks, eight Ks, and just a slider was filthy, bro. Let's look at the postseason, right? Because that's uh, that's where you know all the critics come out, especially you know, especially with Kershaw. Um, you know, let's look at a guy like Sandy Koufax. And of course, you know, the, the league was different, but he actually only had seven starts. Great numbers, but only seven starts. Uh, if you look at a Johnson and you look at Maddox, Johnson's record was seven and nine. Maddox was 11 and 14. You know, their whip wasn't great. Um, you know, their, their strikeout per nine innings, it was good, but Kershaw, Kershaw's was better. Kershaw had a better whip than both of those guys. And he had a better record too. He actually has a winning record in the playoffs at 13 and 12. So he beats those two guys in each of those categories. Now, the only category where he kind of, you know, he kind of falls off is ERA at a 4.19. But his whip is still 1.07, meaning that he didn't have bad starts. He had bad innings. And usually, you know, the seventh inning, everyone knows, everyone who follows Kershaw, the Dodgers knows yeah. that the seventh inning is what gets him, right? Uh, so percent, bro. he didn't have bad starts. He had bad innings. And one of those, you know, bad starts shouldn't have even counted. You know, the, the guys knew it was coming. Um, and, you know, you look back at the uh, the Cardinals, uh, the game where he gave up 11 runs. So if you take four, four of those starts away, that's like 35 out of the uh, 88 runs he's allowed. So he hasn't been as bad as people say, especially compared to other legends, because a lot of, you know, great pitchers in the past actually struggle in the playoffs, you know. So it's it's not unheard of. People just forget. Um Take away those uh, few bad innings, and his ERA probably drops down into the to the low threes. So he he hasn't been that bad. It's just magnified because you know he he's pitched in the era of social media, in an era where bad performances are amplified to a greater degree than great performances. You know, and I, and I'm glad the guy you know finally got his ring because he deserves it. He hasn't been that bad. Um, anyway, you know, enough about that, uh, Jansen. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about. Let's talk about, so let's go to this game that Kershaw started and was Lembro out of his mind. Great start. But the like little wrinkle in this game that comes to kind of bite us in the ass in the third game against the Athletics and uh, the Oakland A's is the fact that Doc Roberts, you know, Doc puts in uh, Kenley Jansen to pitch this game when the Dodgers are up five to one. Why is Kenley Jansen pitching at a non-safe situation? That's my concern. I, I don't I don't agree with that move by Dave Roberts. I don't I'm, I'm not happy with it. Uh, we we have arms that have not been used at all this season. We had arms that could have been used in place of Kenley Jansen pitching a, a five to one game. Um, you know, and he didn't pitch horrible or anything like that. But it's just 
it comes to bite us in the next game. But that's just what I was thinking. Like, one name I was thinking about, why not pitch Dennis Santana? So Dennis Santana was the last the last guy cut from the roster that didn't make the team. Solid young arm, reliever. Could have easily pitched in that situation. You're up four runs. Put the kid in there. Let's see what happens. If he gets in trouble, okay, then bring Kenley in the game. But no, so he puts him in there, and, and that's just a, a concern for me, man. What do you think about that move by Dave Roberts? If we're in that game, I don't really mind it that much. I can you know, see why he might try to put him out there, build his confidence. Um, what really bothered me was throwing him back out there the second game in a row in a high-leverage situation, knowing full well that the past two years – Jansen has struggled. And now I, I collected some uh, some data on that from 2019 through 2021. Jansen has allowed 11 runs on no day's rest. Now, again, that's 21 innings in the past three years, 11 runs. That's a run every you know two innings. That's not great. Why put him out there? And then you look back in uh, 2020, when uh, in 38 plate appearances in high leverage situations, he gave up eight runs, seven walks, 12 hits, allowed other you know batters to hit 316 with a 435 OBP, knowing full well that he has not been performing great in those high leverage situations. Why do you throw him back out there to pitch? On no day's rest, you have two numbers saying that he, he sucks on no day's rest and in high leverage situations. What are your thoughts on that? Game three was frustrating. You know, Trevor Bauer has a great start. And we could talk about Trevor Bauer and his sticky stuff and all that and whatnot. Um, but Trevor Bauer has a great start. And then, um, you know, uh, he, he gets into the seventh. He gets into the seventh inning. Corey Knable comes in and relieves him. Here's where my issue is. My issue is Victor Gonzalez comes in the eighth inning with two outs. He throws two pitches. That's it. Victor Gonzalez, a high leverage reliever who was so clutch in the World Series for us. He comes in, throws two pitches, and his day is done. So you go back to Kenley Jansen when you have a great pitcher with a fresh arm. And you go back to Kenley Jansen. And we all know what's going to happen at this point, bro. Every Dodger fan knows what's going to happen. Everyone. It's a 3-2. Everyone knows, bro. It's a 3-2 game. Kenley Jansen comes in. We all know what's going to happen. He's going to struggle with his command. He's not going to throw the ball. Like, the cutter's not going to cut very well. The speed's going to be lower than normal. And, and it's already Nine, it's, nine it's strikes already on low. 22 pitches. Nine strikes. Oh, wait, bro. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that Kenley Jansen struggles with his control? But I thought Dave Roberts said that's uncharacteristic of him. I thought that's not normal for Kenley Jansen. When he said that, I was like, what are you watching, bro? Anyone who watches the Dodgers know Kenley Jansen struggles. He can't control the cutter very well as it is. And he doesn't throw it hard anymore. So you send him out there in back-to-back games, bro. We all know what's coming. So he goes in, bro. And it's, uh, you know, he throws one inning. He, he blows the save. He has two walks. And it's like, it goes single, walk, bunt, uh, you know, line drive, play at the plate. And then he gets mad at Will Smith for the play at the plate. Yeah. Like, it's that, Will Smith's fault. That, that like, that's adding, it's, you know, insult to injury. I mean, it's one thing to blow a save. But to blame someone else and not own it, I mean, yeah. Let's say he catches the ball. The odds of... You know, the play, the play being an out are still very, very small. 
he can show up Will Smith and ask him, hey, what's going on, bro? Like, why didn't you make that play? X, Y, Z. But Will Smith's not giving him shit when he walks that batter, when he gives up that single. When he walks the next batter, Will Smith's not giving him no shit, right? So he's not going to do that to him. So why? Like, that that pisses me off, bro. Like, that annoys me. Like, of course, everyone wants Will Smith to catch the ball and make the play at the plate. But we don't even need to play at the plate, bro, if you're not walking hitters. Exactly, exactly. And it, it, it's just beyond me how he keeps putting him out there and he keeps making excuses for him. And I mean, I know the whole coaching back up your player, pump up his self-esteem, you know, blah, 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 uh, tactic. But man, we've had enough of this. Like this team is good, but if you look back at the last few seasons and why we've struggled in the playoffs, Jensen's been a big part of that. Not being able to close out games has been a big part of that. But so here's the thing, bro. And like, let's make this clear for everyone that's listening, right? It's, it's not that we're anti-Kenley Jansen. We're anti-Kenley Jansen on back-to-back days. Yep. That, that's, that, that's the issue we've had, and that's the issue we run into the playoffs. We ran into that issue year after year where he ran Kenley into the ground, and he would throw him out there, and he would throw him out there because he doesn't trust his other arms. He did that with Brandon Morrow in 2017. He rode Kenley Jansen like crazy every year in the playoffs. He rode Ken Maeda when he came in in relief in the playoffs. And luckily... This year, or 2020 in the World Series in the playoffs, Julio Urias was able to come through and be a workhorse for us out of the pen and starting as well. But just Doc has that issue, bro, of just riding relievers into the ground and not trusting the other arms he has in the pen. He could have thrown so many arms out there, bro. He could have went Canable, Gonzalez, Nelson, or Canable, Nelson, Gonzalez. David Price could have came out of the pen. But no, he goes back to, to Kenley and that 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 arm that's already dead, man. He can't go back to back. No, nah, man. And, uh, you know, with all due respect to, to Jansen, and he's been a great closer for us, one of the best. Um, I think I'd only put uh, Eric Gagne above him. He's a seventh inning guy. He's he's not a closer. I mean, I wouldn't even trust him in the eighth inning just because he doesn't perform well in high leverage situations. You know, talk about missing uh, Gratterall. Um I mean, he's not a close. And, and Kelly, bro. Set. Bruce Dark Catterall, Kelly. And Kelly, yeah. And, you know, it, it just, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I really hope we can shore up that, you know, spot, especially, you know, going into the playoffs in the off season yeah. where guys are going to be, you know, tired. Um, yeah. We just can't have, can't have a repeat of that. We can't be losing because yeah. of bad coaching because that's what it was. It was bad coaching. Doc needs to be better, bro. Doc needs to be better. And that's what we talked on the first pod, bro. I mentioned on the first pod that we had too much good pitching. That was what I said on the pod. I said we had too much good pitching. And I predicted multiple pitchers or multiple relievers would have double-digit saves. And Corey Knable saved the game, you know. Um, Corey Knable did save a game for us. Or he came out, you know, and, and closed the game for us. And so it's... um. Yeah, it's just uh, it's frustrating that that Doc is is doing this so early, man. And I, and I know it's Game Seven, and people are like, "Don't jump off the bridge." But Dodger fans get so frustrated about this, bro, because it happens every year. We see it every year, and Doc just keeps doing the same shit, and it's annoying. And we just want him to be better. Be better, Doc. That's it. That's all we're asking. Yeah, if you're listening, Doc, be better. <laughs> Doc is listening, bro. If he's you know, for sure he listening. He's a fan of the pod. You know about Jansen? Uh, we've been writing him pretty hard. Um, Let's take, you know, look back at uh, Trevor Bauer, who had a great game, but, you know, possibly 
marred by uh, the sticky stuff situation. Now, let's be clear. Nothing's been proven. Nothing's been, uh, at this point, it really is just, you know, rumor. Not, nothing's been proven. Um, some balls were sent to Major League Baseball. Uh, and, I, you know, what, what really bothers me about that situation is that uh, it really seems like they're, you know, targeting not only Bauer, but the Dodgers. Um, and, you know, if Bauer wants to get away with this, and he should just, you know, if he did do it, admit to doing it, and then tell him who, where he got the substance, and he'd probably get pardoned by the uh, by the league. Um, hey, bro, that's how it works, right? Snitches get off the hook for free, bro. That, that's how it works in Major League Baseball nowadays. Uh, snitching, get away don't, with it. Don't tweet that, bro, because the Astro fans will come at you tough, dog. I, they they were all up in my mentions this week for one of my tweets, man. Astro fans. I mean, maybe we're salty as Dodger fans, but Astro fans, they're a bunch of punks, dog. They're a bunch of punks. You know what? Dusty Baker, and I know he's just doing his job, but yeah, come on. Like his comments after the game, uh, after the Angels game. Oh, yeah. His comments had the, that's what I posted about when he was just like, what about the kids and this and that? And what are we teaching the kids when we're like booing players and, and, you know, using profanity towards them and throwing trash cans or inflatable trash cans on the field. And I was just like, bro, what are we teaching the kids when your players can cheat the game and not face any consequences? They can cheat the game to, to achieve the greatest goal and not have to deal with any consequence. What are we teaching the kids then? And bro, that tweet took a life of its own man i had to delete it it just it kept going man it wouldn't it wouldn't stop just the astro fans and baseball fans arguing back and forth anyway yeah. back to bauer but yeah but in regards to trevor bauer bro i'm just really curious to see how baseball handles this because you know that that whole report and information came out over the summer in the off season about players uh using this substance to get better grip on the baseballs and that multiple multiple pitchers in baseball plenty of pitchers in baseball use it quality pitchers really good pitchers in baseball use it um, you know, some pretty big names. And so now baseball, you know, baseball had come out and said they were going to investigate the baseballs to see, you know, if they can find any substances and send them to the lab X, Y, Z. So he took some of Trevor Bowers, uh, some of the baseballs from his start and they're looking into them. I'm just curious to see if, um, like why Trevor Bauer, like who else, who, 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 what other starting pitchers having his, his baseballs, uh, checked after, after their starts. I just feel like this is Manfred coming for, um, Trevor Bauer. Cause they definitely don't get along. They're not the best of friends. He is coming after them. He's going to get them because of all the shit he's gotten. And Hey man, this guy deserves to be fired. Let's just put that out there. He does not deserve to be the leader of any organization, much less the, you know, major league baseball. This guy deserves to be fired. This is, he is a disgrace to baseball. He's a disgrace to the sport. He's a disgrace to any sport. And the fact that he still has a job is incredible. And it's just one of the most frustrating, infuriating things. But enough about that. What do you think of the upcoming series against the Nationals? Yeah, we'll have what we'll have Walker Buehler go, Julio Urias, and then uh, Dustin May again, I believe. Um, honestly, bro. To be completely honest, I know this is a Dodger Lakers podcast, City of Champs, repping LA. But I want to see Juan Soto, man. <laughs> that dude's a stud. Juan Soto is, man, just seeing him in the batter's box. Yeah. I, I want to, you know what? I want to see him in real life. And I know it's it's kind of weird, but uh, when, you, when you see guys like, you know, you Darvish, when you see guys like uh, Walker Bueller in real life, like these guys are big. They're not small players. They're big. And yeah. Juan Soto, Juan Soto looks, looks huge, big. bro. He Juan looks TV. like a big dude. Yeah. He looks like a big dude, man. But I just, I just, I just love his at bats, man. He's such a tough out. But um, the Nationals are a great team. The Nationals are a great team, and they um, have a great rotation. Uh, so yeah, it'll be a good test for us. Um, 
you know, we've had it kind of easy so far in the first seven games between the Rockies and Oakland, not having to face a, a real tough, um, a tough pitching staff. So it'll be good for us to get tested by the nationals, you know, with Corbin and Strasburg and Scherzer over there, um, you know, still dealing. So that would be good. It'll be a good test, man. And the nationals always play as tough. So um, that'll be fun. This is going to be a good, a good, uh, a good weekend of baseball overall. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to talk about your Los Angeles Lakers. Last time on the pod, um, we talked about the Lakers having two games coming up. One against the Raptors on Tuesday and one earlier this evening against the Miami Heat. Uh, The Lakers split those games. They were able to get the win against the Raptors on Tuesday, but they did lose a hard fought game tonight against the Heat. But let's start off with that game on Tuesday against the Raptors. Um, Lakers just came out and did their thing. They uh, they came out, they shot great from the three-point line, shot 45% from three. Um, you know, Caruso, Keith, THT, each dropped three triples. Um, seven players in double figures. Um, one of the noticeable players I wanted to talk about that was in double figures is uh, Kaycock, Devontae Kaycock, one of the uh, young guys, one of the two-way guys having a good game um, off the bench. And he got plenty of minutes because Montrez Harrell was ejected. Uh, um, you know, a uh, uh, hard foul by Dennis Schroeder on OG Ananubi at the uh, when he was uh, on a fast break. But Schroeder does what any good basketball player, you know, quality basketball player does when you foul someone hard, you try to hold them up so they don't fall. And then OG straight up flips, dude, and drops him on his back. And Trez is not going to go for that shit. He ain't no punk. So he jumps in there, starts pushing dudes. They're beefing. They're pushing back and forth. They get him separated. But uh, Harold gets ejected. OG gets ejected. And so, you know. Matt, don't, um, but, don't even get me started on that, Matt. Don't even get me started on that. I mean, I disagree. It wasn't a hard foul. It was a basketball play. Um, didn't go for the head. Wrapped him up like any smart player would. You wrap him up. Grab him with two hands. Don't want to get that shot off. Came down. Mind you, like the size difference. Came down. He's still trying to hold him up. And for no reason, Ananobi just flips him. Just flips him to the ground. Well, I mean, yeah. what is Harold supposed to do in that situation? You're not going to let any other team try to punt your own players. Yeah, and especially when you're like, like you said, bro, the size difference. Oh, yeah, Ananobi is like a solid, like what, like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, maybe even 6'7". Solid built dude. Schroeder, you know, small, slimmer dude. And like you said, he drops them. And of course, you know, that's what you have to do as Harold. Like, you need to go there and be that enforcer and back your teammate up. And, you know, since then, the NBA has released their consequences and everything. Um you know, people got suspended. Um, you know, Red, uh, Fred Van Fleet got suspended. Uh, Bembry got suspended for stepping on the court. THT got suspended for stepping on the court. Uh, Keith got fined. OG got fined. Um, but you know, Schroeder came out earlier today, or just a while ago, and came out and said that he's gonna he's gonna pay for um, for Harold's fine for stepping up for him, which is what you do, man. Like when someone, when one of your teammates has your back and they get fined by the league for you know having your back. You hook them up, you step up, and you you pay that fine. Um, but that was really the big storyline from that game. Um, like I said, overall the Lakers played a great game, but that was the you know that was the biggest storyline. You know, another storyline was the fact that uh, Gasol came out and played well. Um, you know, ever since everything's kind of happened with the 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 um, the Drummond signing, um, Gasol has elevated his game to another level and he even came out post game and had some really good comments about being committed to the team 
you know, that he'll do whatever roles necessary uh, that the, the team requires of him. And that regardless of how many minutes he plays, uh, 5, 10, 15 minutes, he, he's going to go out there and, and he's going to play hard because he understands his role has changed and he's going to give kind of that path to, to Drummond to go ahead and take that starting role. So, um, yeah, man. Edgar, tell me about your thoughts on this, uh, the NBA suspending these players and and whatnot and, and finding certain players and the rules and, and everything. What are, what are your thoughts on all that, man? I think it's I think it's soft, man. I think it's it's super soft. If you look at what THT did and, uh, you know, the, the Raptors players, what they did, like. It's not worth suspending. I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's a heat of the moment type situation. Your first reaction is to, you know, back up your home. He's like, what are you going to do? Let them get pumped? Like, what does the NBA expect them to do? You know, are they supposed to just stay seated and just let, you know, one of their players get tossed around? You know, what, what are the refs going to do? You know, it just it bothers me. It's become such a soft league. Um, all these suspensions and overreactions for no reasons. You look at hockey, man. These dudes are a lot to fight and they even encourage it. Like that's the sports culture. Why is it that basketball is so sensitive to this stuff? Like, well, well, it's not even about being sensitive, bro. Right. So it's remember it's, we have to remember that the NBA has had some pretty nasty brawls, right? We have to remember. Remember the malice in the palace between the, the 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 Pistons and the Indiana Pacers that got completely out of hand. And that's the reason for why we have the rule that when there's a scuffle, players are not to leave the bench and step on the court. Granted, THC did nothing wrong. He took like five steps onto the court and he did get suspended for that. But one thing I one thing I posted on Twitter that that's on Kuz, bro. That's Kuzma's job to go ahead and and He's supposed to go there and and hold THT back because Kuzma and THT, bro. I don't know if you saw the video. Um, I had I had responded to it on Twitter, but Kuzma and THT were both sitting at the scorers table. Everything happens. Kuzma is like big chilling, bro. Doesn't even flinch. Doesn't even bat an eye to it when everything's popping off. And THT like runs on the court and then realizes that oh crap, I can't be on the court. But it was just so funny, bro. And I have posted out like Kuzma's just like a savvy veteran. He knows like just chill, don't respond. But he he slipped up, man, by not not helping THC out and telling him like yo, yo, chill out. I see it different though. I, I think it's it's one of those situations where if THC goes out and like pushes someone or gets to the actual like incident, you know, spot of the incident, then you know suspend them. But you got to lot for the human element, like people get angry and people have reactions and it, you know, it does take, you know, seconds sometimes to realize that it, it's wrong. Yeah. You, you can't be like black or white in the NBA. Like it's ridiculous. Like the only people that lose are the fans, you know, nothing, you know, what if it were bigger players? What if it were yeah. a LeBron or an AD like, and then they get yeah. suspended. And, but but like, that's the, and, and that's why the coaches tend to like, there's always like a coach designated to like, tell the bench to stay in their place, not to get on the court and, and whatnot. And, and honestly, I think we can, whether we agree with the rule or not, I think it's safe to say that this rule has been pretty effective, bro. We haven't had too many issues with guys running off the bench and getting into fights when a scuffle breaks out. So I think it's safe to say that the rule has done its job. Um, this is a good lesson for, you know, someone like THC who's young and still pretty new in the league to, to learn this rule. 
But I agree, man. I think the rule needs to be revisited. I think it needs to maybe make some changes in and just put something in there that maybe you're going to find the player, like you'll find the player for stepping on the court and also like, you know, analyze their involvement and go from there. Right. But it can't just be like, Oh, you step two feet off. You step, you know, two steps onto the court. You're, you're getting suspended. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's ridiculous, you, man. man. And, uh, man, I don't know. I think, you know, <laughs> in a sense, fights are good for the game. Obviously the, Ron Artest Ben Wallace is uh, he's an outlier like that. I mean, come on, you have two guys that are like very, you know, hood street, grew up in like, you know, in um in uh, New York. I don't know where Ben Wallace like, grew up. Um so that was a sort of special situation. And you've got the, you know, the the, the Detroit crowd sort of like egging on the situation. Uh so to base everything off of that one incident, like, come on, man, like that's not always going to escalate to that, that, that level. Um, you know, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah. You know, move forward. Uh, hopefully they, uh, they learn the lesson and yeah, you know, we'll see what happens yeah. with all that. Definitely bro. And, and, you know, uh, we also have some other Laker news, man. Um, you know, before the game uh, Thursday against the Heat, we had some just other Laker news that came out, starting off with the fact that the Lakers um, signed Ben Black, uh, Ben McLemore. Um, he was uh, released and, and or bought out by the um, Houston Rockets, and the Lakers went ahead and swooped him up. Uh, he's a guard, six three. Um, the real thing he's going to bring, and we're hoping he's going to bring as Laker fans, is shooting. Uh, last season was taking six three point attempts per game and shooting at a forty percent clip. That those are great numbers. That's a uh, uh, high amount of shots so a high amount of attempts so it's not like he's just taking one or two a game so he's shooting a good amount of threes a game and hitting at 40 percent is great i think um you know looking at the data on some of like the uh the twitter profiles uh he was in the 90th percentile as far as like a three-point shooter has regressed a great deal this season uh taking five attempts a game but only hitting at three 33 percent from three so he's not shooting too great this year, but one thing they were breaking down is just decrease in shot quality. I saw a lot of people talking about that. Just with James Harden leaving, you know, you're just not that open anymore, right? That makes sense. He's not attracting all the defense's attention and he, you don't have a great passer like James Harden available anymore to get you the ball in the places you like. So um, shot quality has decreased. So everything we're hoping for as, as Laker fans is that, when LeBron comes back, he will get Ben McLemore better shots than he was getting this year. And Ben McLemore can make shots at the same level he was making shots last year in Houston. That would be ideal. That would be great. Uh, Defense-wise, he's not that great. But it just gives us another piece, right? Another piece that if KCP is not playing well, if Wes Matthews is not playing well, you have Ben McLemore available. So it just gives you another option, another guy that can shoot and hopefully play good defense. Uh, and yeah, so not a bad pickup. I think uh, overall, pretty good pickup for the um, for the Lakers. Any thoughts on uh, Ben McLemore, Edgar? No, nah, man, just uh, we should have uh, picked up J.R. Smith. Hey, bro, J.R. Smith, just for the swag factor that he brings to the team, dog. He's going to just play. He's going to play every game shirts, bro. Every game is going to be shirts versus skins, dog. And he's going to play skins. I mean, um, yeah, that dude's a legend, bro. The dude's a legend. Two championships. <laughs> two championships. No t-shirt during celebrations. 
Uh, I'm 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 trying to live his life. Right, right. Um, No, but, you know, Ben McLemore, same thing uh, you just said. uh, If he gets good, you know, looks, he's going to make the three-point shot. That's what we want, uh, you know, with AD, LeBron coming back. Hopefully, they'll pull defenders even wide open. Um, Nothing much more to that. Not really a trivial, uh, you know, pickup. It's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. But let's talk about AD uh, potentially yes. returning on April fifteenth against the Celtics. What are your thoughts on that? That's huge, bro. That is huge. That was Mark Stein reporting. At least I saw that was Mark Stein reporting that um, AD might be returning after the road trip. Uh, so the next home game after the road trip is that um, April fifteenth game. Um, so that's next week Thursday. Yeah, next week Thursday um, against the Celtics. And that would be great, man. That would be great if we can get AD. That's a, about a week earlier than I predicted. I was saying around the 24th, 25th. I thought AD would be back. So that's about a week earlier. So that would be great. Um, let's cross our fingers. Nothing is confirmed, right? It's not like, so just anyone who's listening, it's it's not like they're saying, you know, that he will for sure be returning on the 15th. They're just saying that that seems like a possible return date. It's still possible. The good thing is, yeah. Oh, no, it's for sure positive news, man. Like, the good thing is that really number one is AD will be back at some point this season. We never yeah. really knew because they weren't releasing much information about the injury. And we knew they're just being super cautious because it was a calf slash Achilles injury. So that's the first thing. That's the positive thing is that he will be returning. And the second positive is that he will be back soon with plenty of time to wrap up for the playoff push which I'm super excited about um, to see him and, and Braun back on the court with um, Andre Drummond and just the guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling what, about that, man? AD coming back. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, two big guys, uh, you know, Drummond had a decent game. He uh, didn't take too many shots. I think he went five of nine, uh, 15 points, 12 yeah. rebounds. Um, yeah, no, he was good today against the Heat, bro. Yeah, so, you know, again, for me, it's all about the uh, the offensive rebounds. He's going to get those second looks. And when you're that big and you're getting those second shot opportunities, you're either going to do one of two things. You're going to put it back up and get the easy two, or you're going to kick it out for a three. Um, and with the spacing yeah. that, you know, LeBron is going to um, provide, it's going to, you know, give a lot of guys like KCP, you know, and, uh, you know, Kuzma wide open looks. And that's exactly what we need in the playoffs. Um, not to mention, uh, you know, when you think about teams like the Nets, right? Let's say we uh, play the Nets in the other, you know, the finals, it's going to be a lot harder for anyone, including Harden and Durant, to drive to the hoop. They're going to have to get through one more big body, and yeah, it's going to be tough. So either they get through those big bodies or they shoot their lights out, which they can do. But if they're off on any given night, which you know can happen, especially with Harden's uh, playoff struggles. Um, then that definitely, uh, it's a boost for us. Uh, yeah. As far as, uh, you know, AD coming back, I'm excited. It's been a while. It's been a while of, uh, watching the Lakers struggle without him. He's a fun player to watch. He's so versatile. You almost forget how good he is. He does everything. He rebounds, he shoots, he takes it to the hole. He facilitates for guys. He draws like the double, triple team. He is a top three player in the league. We need him back and it's going to be good to, you know, have him back out there. Um, It's going to be good. I have uh, nothing but praises for him and I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, so as you started talking about the the game against the Heat uh, just a while ago, because we're recording this on Thursday night, um, we took the L. We did lose uh, 110 to 101. But um, as you mentioned, there's a lot of positives. One of the positives you mentioned was um, the Andre, uh, or my fault, Andre Drummond uh, in just um, a, a very aggressive game from him. And like you said, bro, you said big body. That, and that's kind of what I saw today. I was like watching play. I was like, this dude is just big, man. He's a big dude that takes up a lot of space. And, he, and seeing him get more comfortable than the first game, just very aggressive, man. That's kind of what I took away from me. He was just very aggressive. A lot of times was driving it, attacking Bam out of Bayou, driving it right into his chest, uh, finished with some nice dunks. Um, good passing also, like you mentioned. I saw a couple times he caught it in the post, and he'd take a dribble middle, attract another defender, then kick it out to a shooter. So that was good to see. Um, and out of Bayou, to be honest, uh, man, the Lakers... Five personal fouls. Uh, uh, I mean, just uh, wanted to point out that Adebayo picked up five personal fouls, so that's what you know Drummond can bring. You know, getting guys in foul trouble. Yeah, because 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 Bam is really more of a four. That's his size. He can play the five because he's athletic and he's pretty big, but he's built more like a power forward. Uh, Drummond is a legit center. Like that is a five man. That dude is big and strong. And yeah, Bam had a battle with him to keep him off the boards. Bam had a battle with him to prevent him from getting to the rim on his drives and his on his post ups. And his numbers were well below his average. Yep. Definitely. It was a tough matchup for Bam for sure. But also, you know, on the other end, kind of tough for um, Drummond to defend Bam because Bam is pretty athletic and handles the ball pretty well. But I was just really impressed with the Lakers overall in this game, just competing. Um, I I originally predicted that they would lose. Um, I didn't think that they would win this game. I thought they they could probably beat Toronto, but I thought for sure they'd lose to, to the Heat. But it was a close game all the way through, bro. All the way through, very good com- competitive game. The Lakers came out and played hard. Shout out to KCP who hooped out of his mind, bro. Lights out, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think he shot like uh, 11, 11 for 20 from the field. Uh, shot it really well from the three-point line. So six for 11 from the three-point line. Finished the game with 28 points. But we also had Keefe in double digits. We had Drummond in double digits. We had Schroeder in double digits. Matthews. Harrell. So just an overall good team effort. Um, Schroeder, though he was in double digits, not the greatest of games, shot two for 12, 14 assists, but also seven turnovers, which, I mean, I'm happy that he's really facilitating for the rest of the team. I'm happy that he's doing that, but the seven turnovers just go to show you that that's just not his strength. That's not what he does really well. And also the Heat are a great defensive team, man. Those dudes just get after it. Um, but this game, at the end, this game just came down to who made shots and who didn't make shots in the last five minutes. And, you know, that's when we're going to miss Braun and AD the most. You know, we also didn't have Kuzma today. We didn't have THT either. But in the last five minutes, that's when your superstars bring it home for you. And we clearly were missing Braun and AD. And then he just capitalized. They just made shots. We didn't. And that was a game, honestly. But I was very proud of the effort the Lakers gave in this game today. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, seven guys in double digits last game, six guys in double digits this game. Probably would have had seven again if THT uh, would have played. Um, another highlight is... Or if Kuzma. If Kuzma, Kuzma would have played. Yeah, yeah. I mean, could have had eight, right? And that's, uh, that's a big deal. Um, you know, KCP over the last two games shooting... Um, 
15 or 25 for a guy that's been struggling. That's really positive, you know, news. It's, it's a good sign to see. Um, so overall, you know, it seems like they're playing better. They're wrapping up and, and we're only going to get better with, uh, with, you know, the two big men uh, coming back. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy overall. I'm satisfied. We've picked up those two wins against, you know, teams that we had to win against. Um, so it's all good from here. Let's hope AD comes back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just wrap up for the year for the playoffs. I hear you, bro. So hit me with your prediction. Next game, Lakers Nets Saturday, one of those Saturday like showcases on ABC at 530. What do you think? Win or loss? I think they're going to be a bunch of clowns and go 125% and try to get those like stats and try to make headlines for, for the media saying, you know, about how, how badly they beat the other uh, Lakers. Cause that's who they are. Right. I mean, you've got a guy like Blake, uh, Blake Griffin, Deandre Jordan, ex Lop city. Um, no, you know, no selfie or no selfies, no banners, um, ever hung with that team. And, you know, they're showboats and that's who they are. And Harden, the guy who, uh, you know, pats the stats, He's a guy that, you know, they'll be up by 20 and he'll try to go for like 15 points in the fourth quarter uh, just so he gets his averages up. And that's who they are. So that's what I expect out of them. They're going to come out like they're playing uh, the Lakers full strength and, um, you know, try to boost their ego that way um, because everyone knows that that team has, you know, pretty low, uh, pretty low um, self-esteem, man. It's a team of uh, low self-esteem players. They need a lot of uh, anything they can get to make yeah, themselves bro. feel better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Low self-esteem players. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll lose as well, man. I'm with you. I think they'll lose that game on Saturday against the Nets. Um, and I do think you'll see headlines kind of run with it because I was seeing today that some people on, um, you know, ESPN and other um, – you know, sport uh, platforms and sport channels. They're talking about the Nets big three being the, like the greatest big three ever. And can anybody beat them? And like people were saying, like, not even the Lakers can beat them. But the funny thing is, like, nobody was saying that when we were healthy. When we were healthy and Braun and AD were playing and we're all good and we're rocking and rolling, we're the best team in the league. Everyone kept saying, there's no way the Nets can beat the Lakers because nobody on that team can guard AD. Facts. No one can that defense. Yeah, you know what it is? It's people waking up in the morning watching a first take and stealing their, you know, talking points because they're unoriginal. And, you know, Stephen A is a great example of as soon as AD went down, oh, the Lakers are not winning. It's going to be the Nets all the way. And it's, you know, they... they all the crazy talk is for, for headlines. Um, I don't believe the hype. Lakers is still the best defense. Lakers still have AD and LeBron. You know, nothing's changed. They're only going to get healthier. They're only going to get better. And the Nets still can't play defense. And no one can guard AD. And no one can guard LeBron. Um, yeah. and, it yeah. took, and it took a 73-9 and nine team for KD to finally, finally get the best of LeBron. So, I mean, that, that's who he yeah, is. Yeah, man, it... And just to hit on your point, bro, the Nets can't play defense. That's not a lie. Like, all the data has the Nets in the bottom five in the NBA on, on, on the defensive end. And so, they, they're going to they're gonna have to try to figure it out, man. And I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know. What happens in the playoffs, out. right? The game slows down. Guys step yeah. up. They play more defense. They get more physical. That is not who the Nets are. 
No, you're right, bro. And, and, and even in the Eastern Conference, I like some of those teams against the Nets defensively. I like the Heat against the Nets defensively. I like the um, I like the uh, the 76ers against the Nets defensively. And I like the Bucks against the Nets defensively. Uh, both three teams have good defenders, long defenders, athletic, versatile defenders. Um, good defenders at all five positions. So as the game slows down, definitely I, I can see the Nets running into some trouble, you know, str- struggles with scoring the ball and not being able to get stops on the other end. Cause like, like on who on that team is going to guard Joel Embiid? No one. He's going to, oh, he's going to have like, no, he's going to have a day. Who on that team, inside. who on that team is going to guard, you know, Jimmy Buckets, dog? You saw what he did in the finals last year. Yeah, that dude's a dog, bro. Well, like, let, let's you know, go, who's going to team's going to guard Giannis? Let's, let's go back to Philly, right? Let's go back to that matchup. But you got Ben Simmons, right? Ben Simmons can't shoot. He's not going to look to shoot. He's going to be driving every time. Who's going to stop him? Who's going to stop um, and beat inside? Who is going to stop those guys? It's going to be like they're going to have a cakewalk. They're just going to walk right through. And 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 bro, and sticking with Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is an amazing, versatile defender, bro. He can guard one through five. He can guard one through five because he's so athletic and he's long. And I think he'll be able to guard James Harden just fine. He'll get some opportunities with on Kyrie. And everyone's like talking about like, you know, you're not going to stop KD, but he he matches up well against Kevin Durant. He, uh, you know, uh, Simmons is like 6'10". Athletic, young. He matches up well against KD. And we all know KD's nursing some injuries. So that's a concern also. But yeah, I think Philly's a tough matchup for them. I I guess I think the Heat and the Bucks, three teams who are going to be a tough matchup for the Nets in the East. And they come over and play the Lakers and they can't match our size. And Dwight Howard, man. Don't forget about so who's okay. So let's say they put DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan picks up fouls like, you know, no, you know, as good as anyone, any other center in the league. Get him in foul trouble. Get him out. And then you've got um, a guy like Blake Griffin playing the four. A guy like Aldridge playing, you know, the four. Those guys, they're going to get into foul trouble because what does Dwight do so well? He gets under guy's skin and he takes it to them and he frustrates players inside. So you take that entire element out of the Nets team and it's really going to come down to KD, Harden, and, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving. And they're going to have to shoot lights out. And like you said, KD's not stronger than uh, Ben Simmons. He's not younger than Ben Simmons. He's not going to, you know, again, he could shoot, but can he take it to the hole? Can he absorb that impact? You know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup, uh, no doubt. And again, if you look at the heat out of bio, these are big bodies that you put up against uh, all these players and, you know, say what you want about Aldridge and, you know, Blake Griffin, but these dudes are way past their prime. And I, yeah, he had a nice dunk the other night. You're way past their prime. A dunk is worth yeah. 10 points. But see, but see, I'm not even tripping on these dudes being being past their, their primes, bro. They're, they've simply just added good offensive players. That's all they've added. Even in the bio market, they added offensive players. They never added a defensive-minded player, you know? And, like, that's my biggest concern is, like, can they lock up when it's time to lock up? True, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, you know, do it for us, bro. Yeah, that does it for. I think we've gone on for for quite a bit. Um, looking forward to next game. You know, it's going to be exciting. Hope you guys are enjoying the podcast so far, episode three. Look forward to again interacting with you guys on uh, on Twitter. 
Um, always good to have insights, feedback, comments, uh, retweets, um, all that good stuff. So, you know, give us a shout out anytime, uh, send us a DM if you want. Um, and yeah, we'll look forward to, you know, the rest of the season, uh, hanging out with you guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Y'all peace.